if you notice the sign out front, it said 1.3 million have died uh, in order to pay for our freedom. For our freedom. But thank God the Lord Jesus paid for our sins. Amen? And, uh, and certainly we're not putting their sacrifice above the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior tonight. Not doing that. But the scripture does say that we're to render honor to whom honor is due. And so I'd like you to turn tonight with me, please, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13. And I want to speak tonight to those of you that are here and those of you at home. We welcome you uh, via YouTube. We welcome you. We're glad that you're listening. And we trust that one day you'll come and visit with us here at Ranchero Drive. But tonight we want to look at this, Romans chapter 13 in verse 7. The message tonight is about honoring our fallen. Honoring our fallen. And uh, let's read this passage of Scripture, and uh, then we're going to pray one more time. And I just want to say how much I appreciated the music. What a blessing that was, brother. And uh, thank you, girls, for what you did. You added to the service, and that's always a blessing. Romans 13, if you'll find your place there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then comes the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Romans 13, verse 7. Paul here writing, and this has to do with government and its role, but he says, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. That's what we want to do tonight. We want to honor our fallen and give you some principles about that from the Word of God. And so let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for this land, for our nation, dear God. Though America is, is ill and sick from the top of her head to the sole of her feet. Lord, she needs a revival, dear God. And I pray one day her heart might turn back toward Thee. And uh, Lord, we're just asking God in mercy tonight that you look upon us, remember us. And Father, we, uh, we tonight just want to observe some things, look at some things, recognize some things about those who paid the ultimate price that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have even this night to be able to gather together in your name and to gather around the old book and sing the songs of Zion and enjoy the word of God. Thank you, Lord that uh, we're not in places tonight where we have to hide out, but we can worship uh, without fear tonight. And we thank you for that, Father. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name, and may he be glorified in it all. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen and amen. Uh, you know, honoring our fallen, Memorial Day, that's going to be tomorrow. Memorial Day is the last Monday in the month of May. That's the day that's been designated for that. And it's different from the other days that we have here in America that have something to do with our military, whether they be active duty or veterans. It's Memorial Day is different from Armed Forces Day. Armed Forces Day was this month, a few days ago. And what that is for, it is recognition of all those who are on active duty who are currently in uniform. And we're to thank God for that. We don't have conscription. We don't have a draft anymore. So these men and women that are now in uniform, they've gone there voluntarily. And, uh, and uh, man, where would we be without, without uh, our military? But, uh, you know, but again, our hope is in the Lord. You know, militaries can only do so much. If God doesn't oversee us as a nation, we're in a mess. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, the Lord talked about that, you know, 
say, you know, a, a horse is strong and so forth, but safety is of the Lord. And that's what we must remember. So, so Memorial Day is different from Armed Forces Day. It's also different from Veterans Day, which is November 11th. And that is for everyone who wore the uniform that we are to recognize them, honor them for the service that they have rendered to their country. And then uh, today, we know that, that tomorrow, I should say, is going to be Memorial Day. And what that is, it is, it is a day for us set aside for us to remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice to secure our freedom. So since 1775 to the present day, over 1.3 million, a combined total of over 1.3 million of soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines have died in defense of America's sovereignty and in defense of America's independence. Now, if you were in the military, like those who have died, in the service, uh, if you will, a line of duty and so forth, death. They took an oath to support this, this to support the Constitution for, against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Domestic, and it's only fitting that we should remember them as a nation. We should, and uh, because they have served our country, they have served our interests, and they did so at their own peril. And many of them, as we recognize on Memorial Day, they have perished. I suspect probably tomorrow they're going to be laying the wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And probably at Arlington this afternoon, I bet you there were American flags on every one of those uh, grave markers that were there in recognition of our honored dead. And, uh, and so uh, we, we don't need to fall short of that. We need to do the same thing here and follow what the Scripture says to give honor to whom honor is due. But let's look at some things. I think some things that we need to do. I just got three things. Won't be long tonight, I don't think. No longer than necessary. But I want you to know, have you ever thought about why we go to war? You ever thought about that? The reasons for going to war? You know, it seems like, uh, you know, what was World War One? That was going to be the war to end all wars, wasn't it? I mean, they had great hopes, great expectations, but sadly... You know, there have been a few of them in between, man, uprisings and coups and so forth, some in Europe and some in other places in Latin America and the like. But the reasons why America has gone to war, we must remember this. I want you, you're right there in Romans 13. I want you to look in Romans 12 with me. We must also remember, now I'm going to talk to us first as individuals. We must remember always that, uh, that personal vengeance is outside of the will of God. And that is not a reason, if you will, for us to take up arms out of personal vengeance. Look in, look in chapter 12, look in verse 17 with me. Notice what it says. It says, to recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Now, he's not talking to a nation here. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to individuals. And so he says, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay, saith the Lord. All right. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, we ought to live that way. We ought to live as much as lieth in us to live peaceably with all men. 
And, uh, and so God in other places says that not only here in Romans, but also in the books of Thessalonians, he's talked about that I'm going to take care of these things. I'm going to, I'm going to, in other words, God is going to be faithful to repay those who have done such injustices to Christians over the, over the many, many years. The Lord's going to take care of that. He will handle that. So it's not up to me or you to do that. But you know, but sometimes it's not always possible to live peaceably with all men. You have to do your best, all right? And we have to think about this now in terms of us as a nation. In other words, you say this, I mean, why is it okay for men to go to war and do these things, but it's not okay for me as an individual to take vengeance in my hand? Well, I would say with, to you tonight that, that when America has gone to war, it hasn't been about vengeance. It shouldn't be about vengeance. And, uh, and so it should be something just, all right? So civil government that we have, one of its responsibilities, in other words, it, 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 that has been given the, to them by the governed, is that, uh, that they are to help settle such matters. That's why we have civil courts. What happened in 1 Corinthians 6, do you remember? What were they doing? They were taking each other to court when really they should have been solving that problem. They should have been settling that dispute amongst the believers in that church. And letting them judge without taking them to civil authorities uh, for them to settle their differences. They should have been Christian enough. They should have been bold, if you will, uh, mature enough and interested in, in the Lord getting glorified and not doing something of their own self-interest. But rather, what do we need to do to make this right? Yeah. That's when you can't sometimes get along. You need to do as much as you can. Uh, to live peaceably with your neighbors and with those around you. Do as best you can. And, and yet we know that in the church they were to settle those things. But many times the courthouses, the government has set up those things for people that don't have a church. If you will, to follow their leadership and instruction from the word of God. And they have to look to the government to help settle those disputes. And that's part of the reason for that. I mean, even in the Old Testament, there were judgments given by God on how to settle matters between people. Man, if you had a bad bull or, or you had something happen over here, something happened accidentally, or you were looking after your neighbor's uh, animal and it died, then you had to give cause why that happened and so forth. All those different kinds of judgments and things to settle differences amongst those Israelites were given. Why? Because God wanted there to be peace and harmony. Amen? That's what he wanted there to be. And so some of the reasons for, for, for going to war is, is, is now what we want to look at is what is the government's role in this? Again, I say, we say, well, it's, it's fine for them to do that. And, and that's the reason why when, when, you, when the, our nation is at war and our soldiers take the life of some other soldier, they're not accountable for murder. That's, it's not murder and so forth. It's not looked at like that. Why? Because it's in a time of war. The nation was at war. And so I want you to see this with me. So the verses here in Romans 12 and so forth, again, they apply to the individual. But what about when it's on a greater scale? When it's on a national scale? Do you know what the purpose of our government is? The purpose of our government, the purpose of government, it's number one role and responsibility is to protect the citizens of that nation. The role, the responsibility of our government is our safety. They call it homeland security or whatever. And I, and I, you know, all the ins and outs about all that and what they're really trying to do. I'm not here to talk about all those things. And 
you know, I'm not looking for black helicopters tonight and we're recording this and I'm not worried about somebody investigating me. You understand what I'm trying to say? I'm not trying to make this bigger than what it is. I'm just saying that the role of government has always been to protect its people. That's what, we're, that's what we want them to do. That's why we have law enforcement. And uh, that's why we have a National Guard. And this also holds true for our military forces as well. Do you know that our God is a God of war? Did you know that? Look in Exodus with me. Turn there. Keep your place in Romans. Go to the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus. And I want you to look in verse 15. When a nation is being threatened, when a nation is uh, in peril, God has authorized, if you will, our God is a God of war. And that's why we have armies and navies and the military and so forth to go on the front lines to help protect the citizens of that nation. Look with me in Exodus 15. Notice what the scripture says about our Lord. This is in the Song of Moses. Notice what it says, verse 3. It says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. What was he doing? What was God doing back there? He was protecting the nation. It wasn't just an individual, but it was protecting the nation when they were in peril. And these are the reasons why that there should be, why there would be war. But it should be something that's just. David said this, blessed be the Lord my strength. Now listen, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. That's what David said. You know, how do you think Abram was able to go down there and deliver Lot? He said he got, his, he got his men together and they went down there and they fought against those things. It must have been that Abram was teaching and training his men in the use of some, if you will, military implements. And they went down there and delivered Lot. And, uh, and so what I'm trying to get you to see tonight is that that the reasons for war, they need to be a just thing. It needs to be defensive and not aggressive. America, you know, in her business, we're not, at, we're not colonizing places anymore. And if you think about it, man, I mean, we were reluctant to get into World War I. Were we not? I mean, man, there were all kinds of things that were being done. A lot of people didn't want us in that, but finally they, we were brought into the war. And uh, my grandfather served in World War I in France. He was an artilleryman. And, uh, and so America was reluctantly drawn into that war, the war to end all wars. And uh, that American expeditionary forces is what they were. And uh, we went there in, in the help of uh, the, the, the region of Europe against what? Against uh, an aggressive enemy that had attacked first. And that was Germany. And so our reasons for war, it ought to be protective, but it also may have to be preemptive. Look what happened in World War II. Again, America was reluctant to go into war, and it wasn't until that we were, we were attacked in, in Pearl Harbor by the forces of the Japanese Empire. It wasn't that we had sent over there and sent troops over there and, you know, doing different things. We didn't do that. America didn't do that. There were some men that volunteered to fly for England, but those were individuals, but they weren't sanctioned necessarily by the government. In other words, in sending a force over there, a small contingency to go over there and fight. No, that didn't happen. And so it was when America was, was, was attacked. And so ours was a response, then what? To protect our nation. And, uh, and sometimes things do have to be, do have to be, uh, if you will, they do have to be preemptive. 
If you're seeing something build up, if we're seeing these things, we're getting threats and so forth, we have to make preparations. Our nation has to do that. And these are the reasons for war. And they need to be just, and they need to be right, and they need to be swift and not protracted. It shouldn't be that when we go to war, the only people that benefit from it are businessmen. Amen. That's not the reason that, you know, that's not the reason for going to war. It's because they, you know, and they use the terms national interests and so forth. Those things, sometimes they are. I don't always understand all those things. Uh, there are people, I suppose, with a higher pay grade that can figure all that out. But we have to trust our government to a certain extent in those areas. But beloved, it ought not to be a protracted effort. It ought not to be uh, something with which we are, uh, that we are, that we are looking to take land and measures and the like. Peace ought to be our goal. That's what it ought to be. And that's why I said when you said swift, I, I mean swift. And it ought to be, you ought to unleash fury. Why? So you can, so, you know, rather than it being a long term of thing, it ought to be a short, swift. Why? So that you can reduce the amount of dying over a longer period of time. You think about some of the things that America's been engaged in, like Vietnam. That went from 1959 to 1975. Good night. You know, and look how look how long America's been in Iraq and Afghanistan, and, and the war on terror is what they call that. Years, years, and years. And uh, and I, I'm not here as their judge. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that biblically, the reasons for going to war ought to be to protect our citizenry, and it ought to be there. In, in, when we are being threatened and the interest and the safety of America is being threatened. Those are the right reasons. It ought to be swift and it ought to be as short as possible. Why? We want to put an end to it because peace ought to be our goal as a country. It ought to be. And, uh, and so we need, to we need to know the reasons why. Your children need to know the reasons why. Because, you know, I don't know what all they hear in school. But, uh, you know, I, I suspect it's probably a lot different than what we heard when we were young people in school. Man, we were taught about patriotism and so forth. And, man, we said the pledges every day. And we put our hand over our heart. And we heard America the beautiful. And, man, somebody would pray. And, I, you know... Uh, man, I, I remember even in New Mexico, the eighth grade, man, I had a teacher. He loved to play a song about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, about those Hebrew children. And he would try to explain those things to us in school. I mean, what a blessing. I wasn't thinking about all that as a young man. I wasn't thinking about the things of God. But there were people at different places who still held to the truth. And probably you had some in your life as well. And uh, thank God for them. Amen. And so we learn some things about our nation instead of having a, a spirit of, of apologetics. I don't think America has to apologize for anything that we have done. Amen. Amen. I, I mean that. Listen, why? Because our country, the vital interests of our country, you know, the greatest asset that we have is our people. It's not what's in the ground. It's not the oil. It's not. It's our people. And they need to be protected. I mean, don't you feel that way about your family? Yes. Amen. I know you do. I know you do. If that be true about our families as individuals, how much more so than as a nation it ought to be. So there are some right reasons for going to war. That's all I'm trying to say. And so, you know, when we think about these dead that have come along, we, we, ought, to, we ought to know the reasons for war, the right reasons. And we ought to be able to remember our warriors. Remember our warriors. You know, John 15, 13, Jesus said, no greater love 
hath a man than this, then he lay down his life for his friends. To lay down his life for his friends. There was a helicopter pilot. He was from New Hampshire. And I'm going to read you some things here. I, I hope this won't bore you. But he was from New Hampshire. He was buried. And his parents had these words placed upon his tombstone. It must be pretty good size. But it says, and I, and I just want you to listen to him. And I said, war is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded, immoral, unpatriotic feeling which thinks nothing is worth a war is worse. Did you hear what I said? Yes. War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded, immoral, unpatriotic feeling, which thinks nothing is worth a war is worse. A man who has nothing which he cares more about than his own personal safety is a miserable creature. And has no chance of being free unless he is made free and kept so by the exertion of better men than himself. Wow. That's pretty rough. <laughs> That's pretty rough. You know, and there's a lot of people that way. You know, some of them went to Canada when I was, when I was of draft age and so forth. Some of them left the country rather than serve their country. And, uh, and man, I, I just, man, just coming up, I just figured, had there been no Vietnam, I probably was going to enter the military just like many of you probably would have. Why? Because it, it, it was just the thing to do, something that we needed to do. I needed it. I don't know about the rest of you men, but I needed it. I needed that structure in my life. I did. I needed it. And uh, I, I, I thank God for the opportunity. And I got to do everything that I wanted to do there. And I learned some things there about others and about myself. Now, you know what? When these men die, when I say remember our warriors, those that laid down their life, it says for who? It didn't say for their nation. It didn't say for their country. It said for their friends. For their friends. You know, not every soldier, sailor, marine, or airman that died may have had America on their hearts and minds when that moment came. Probably most of them were doing what they were doing somehow to do something for their comrades in arms, for that person in the foxhole next to them, that guy who was holding on to a mortar or the bazooka man or whatever it was, they did what they did for the guy that was fighting alongside of them. And they did what they did to help look after this person here. Didn't they teach you that in that spree de corps, amen, that this was a unit, right, brother? Did you learn that, didn't you? You did what you did to save that unit right there. And we here tonight, in part, we're to remember and thank God for those who died to help keep us free. I mean, what do you think about the book of... Go, go to Hebrews 11 with me. Hebrews 11. You know, the Lord recounts this, I think, in part. Hebrews 11, I know this is the hall of faith. These were godly men and women who did what they did because they believed God, they trusted God, and they loved not their lives unto themselves, but they did what they had to do, amen, in following the Lord. And, and as you look at this, look at this right here. Look at verse 33 with me. Hebrews 11, verse 33. It says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, Obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. And all that simply means is that there were some more rewards that were going to be there for them. And others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings again, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being afflicted, uh, torment, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Now, I love this parenthetical right here, verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, they loved the Lord. They loved their countrymen and they did what they did for the glory of God. And uh, we need to remember uh, the warriors. You know, some of those men who died were Christians. Some of those men became Christians. You know, what was the old saying that came out of that? There are no atheists in a foxhole. Some of them got in the, got in the throes and pangs of war and a fear of God and the shortness of their life, the brevity of their life, and they turned in faith. I suspect maybe many of them did. I'm hoping that they did. I have that hope in my heart that they did. But we know this, that their, their death was not in vain. We're enjoying the freedoms that they purchased for us. And, uh, and tonight, in part, we're to remember and thank God for those who died to keep us free. I mean, there's a reason why we're not speaking German or Japanese or Italian tonight. There's, there's a reason why that we've not been overrun. America has never known what it's like to be an occupied nation. There was a time prior to the, prior to the, the uh, Revolutionary War, there were some German troops that came over here, some Hessians, and there were the British that were there. That, but we weren't actually a country yet, but we were soon to be one. But that's the nearest that we've ever been to having an occupation army. We've been a blessed people. We have been. God has kept us for those things. And He has. And I, I put some things down here. I picked one out. And I thought, it, I thought it was interesting. And I would recommend it to you. You ought to, you ought to go and look online. If you have that capability. And look at the Medal of Honor recipients. You can see their pictures. You can hear their citations. You can read their citations. And man, some of them go back to the Indian Wars. And the different things that they were recognized for. Some in the Civil War. I mean, some of it just was, man, they got up from battle and so many men were killed and they grabbed the standard and the two flags and they went forward and reached the hilltop and it inspired other men and courage and they won the day. Their courage, their bravery, loving not their lives unto the death. I, I have one here from World War II. I picked out three of them. I'll try to get through these. I hope they don't bore you, but I, I, I'm intrigued by what makes these individuals what they are. You know, all of them came from little country places, some in Texas, some in Oklahoma, some in other places, not just in the South, one in Ohio. And they come from all over and, and of all races who have been recipients of the highest military honor of our country. This one is about Private uh, Adgerholm. It says, for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity. Oh, good night. He was, he had in, he was very intrepid, all right? <laughs> And uh, at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty while serving with the 4th Battalion, 10th Marines, 2nd Marine Division in action against Japanese forces on Saipan. I have a cousin who died, was a Marine and died in the summer of 44 on Saipan. Brother Devise is a, is a Marine veteran. And, uh, and 
he died there. And so here are the forces of Japan in the Marianas on 7 July 1944. He may have known my cousin. I don't know. When the enemy launched a fierce determined counterattack against our positions and overran a neighboring battalion, PFC Agarholm immediately volunteered to assist in the efforts to check the hostile attack and evacuate our wounded. Locating and appropriating an abandoned ambulance jeep, he repeatedly made extremely perilous trips under heavy fire uh, and heavy rifle and mortar fire and single-handedly loaded and evacuated approximately 45 casualties, working tirelessly and with utter disregard for his own safety during a grueling period of more than three hours. Despite intense, persistent enemy fire, he ran out to aid two men whom he believed to be wounded Marines, but was himself mortally wounded by a Japanese sniper while carrying out this hazardous mission. PFC Agarholm's brilliant initiative, great personal valor, and self-sacrificing efforts in the face of almost certain death reflect the highest credit upon himself, the United States Naval Service. He gallantly gave his life for his country. We need to remember men like that. It touches my heart. It does. It touches my heart. Korea. Master Sergeant Adams. Company A distinguished himself by conspicuous gallantry and uh, intrepidity. Above and beyond the call of duty in action against an enemy at approximately 0100 hours, Master Sergeant Adams' platoon holding an outpost some 200 yards ahead of his company came under a determined attack by an estimated 250 enemy troops. Intense small arms and machine gun and mortar fire from three sides pressed the platoon back against the main line of resistance, observing approximately 150 hostile troops silhouetted against the skyline, advancing against his position. Master Sergeant Adams leaped to his feet, urged his men to fix bayonets. It's going to be hand-to-hand -hand combat. Fixed bayonets, and he with 13 members of his platoon charged the hostile force with indomitable courage. Within 50 yards of the enemy, Master Sergeant Adams was knocked to the ground when pierced in the leg by an enemy bullet. He jumped to his feet, ignoring his wound, continued on to close with the enemy when he was knocked down four times from the concussion of grenades which had bounced off his body. Shouting orders, he charged the enemy positions and engaged them in hand-to-hand -hand combat, where man after man fell before his terrific onslaught with bayonet and rifle butt. After nearly an hour of vicious action, Master Sergeant Adams and his comrades routed the fanatical foe, killing over 50 and forcing the remainder to withdraw. Upon receiving orders that his battalion was moving back, he provided cover fire while men withdrew. Master Sergeant Adams' superb leadership, incredible courage, and consummate devotion to duty so inspired his comrades that the enemy attack was completely thwarted, saving his battalion from possible disaster. He sustained personal bravery, personal, his sustained personal bravery, bravery, and indomitable fighting spirit against overwhelming odds reflect the utmost glory upon himself and upheld the finest traditions of the infantry and the military service. One more and I'll be done. I picked one from World War II, one from Korea, and one from Vietnam. This is Sergeant Benny Adkins. During the early morning hours of March 10, 1966, enemy forces launched their main attack. Within two hours, Sergeant First Class Adkins was the only man firing a mortar weapon. 
When all mortar rounds were expended, Sergeant First Class Adkins began placing effective recoilless rifle fire upon enemy positions. Despite receiving additional wounds from enemy rounds exploding on his position, Sergeant First Class Adkins fought off intense waves of attacking Viet Cong. Sergeant Adkins eliminated numerous insurgents with small arms fire after withdrawing to a communications bunker with several soldiers. Running extremely low on ammunition, he returned to the mortar pit, gathered vital ammunition, and ran through intense fire back to the bunker. After being ordered to evacuate the camp, Sergeant Atkins and a small group of destroyed soldiers destroyed all signal equipment and classified documents, dug their way out of the rear of the bunker, and fought their way out of the camp. While carrying a wounded soldier to the extraction point, he learned that the last helicopter had already departed. So what's he going to do? Sergeant Adkins then led the group while evading the enemy until they were rescued by helicopter on March 12th. Two days later, March 12, 1966, during the 38-hour battle and the 48 hours of escape and evasion, fighting with mortars, machine guns, recoilless rifles, small arms, and hand grenades, it was estimated that Sergeant Adkins had killed between 135 and 175 of the enemy while sustaining 18 different wounds to his own body. Sergeant Adkins' extraordinary heroism and selflessness above and beyond the call of duty are in keeping with the highest traditions of military service and reflect great, uh, great credit upon him himself and his detachment he was a green beret and uh, i'm telling you that you know it, america has produced some good men some great men wouldn't you say and uh, and it's it's rightful for us to remember that so the third thing we ought we ought to understand some reasons for war and i don't know that i made that very plain or clear but i just know this that we ought to be able to protect ourselves and we need to have a strong militia. We need to have a military that we can trust that they're going to be used for the right reasons, not just cannon, cannon fodder and not to gain property or to make money for uh, industrialists and so forth. And the goal ought to be peace, beloved. Yes. You and I are not to take matters into our own hands. We're to turn those things over to God or bring it before the church and let it be settled here by godly men and women. That's how we ought to do things. But there are reasons to fight. And uh, we should not be afraid of that. And we should not be afraid to declare that when someone asks us about it. But there are some reasons. And then we ought to remember the warriors. Look these names up. And there, you know, and there are men, there are countless tens of, I, I suspect tens of thousands who have earned other distinguishing things, whether it be Bronze Star, Silver Star, uh, Air Medals, and the Navy Cross, and all the things that they have done. I mean, obviously, there's way too many for me to call out or to read about uh, tonight. But I'm telling you, thank God for the men and women who have put themselves in harm's way that we could enjoy what we have tonight. And I thank God for watching over us. I, I'll tell you, I remember. I, do you know where you were when the when the war with uh, with Iraq started? You remember when they invaded Kuwait? Do you remember where you were? Did you? Was that your? Were you a Gulf War? You're a Gulf War veteran, aren't you, brother? And, uh, but do you remember where you were when they first started bombing over there, bombing Baghdad? It was on a Wednesday night. I was in a church service in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Brother Roger was there and come to visit. And uh, he and it was Brother Roger and uh, Brother Ray Gassett that showed up out there and uh, to see me and uh, to be in that meeting. 
And we were there when all that started. I remember thinking in the back of my mind, I'd heard about the Million Man Army. Do you remember hearing about that? All these troops that Saddam had and all that they were being uh, reinforced with with Soviet weaponry and all this kind of stuff. And I was worried. I was concerned about that because America hadn't been doing right. But then when that time came when we put those Patriot missiles on Israeli soil, I thought everything's going to be all right now. Why? Because God said, I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse them that curse thee. And so, uh, man, we have to remember that there is a sovereign God who is looking over us. If we'll do right as a nation, then God will do right by us. He's always going to do right. Amen. Always going to. So, so we ought to know the reasons for war. We ought to remember the warriors. And if you see a veteran or you see somebody that, you know, one arm, one leg, or one eye, or whatever, you ought to make it a point to go up to them and to thank them for their service. You know, I see these things on television probably like you do this Tunnel to Towers. I know that some of you give to that. And, uh, you know, and it doesn't bother me if I see them go home and, and they're given a house and the debt has, the mortgage has been paid and all that. I, you know, I'm not jealous about that. I, I think they should have been doing that kind of stuff for a long, long time looking after these people. I hope it doesn't bother you. But the last thing, and I'll be done, we ought to reflect we keep in mind what are the reasons for war and remembering the warriors that you and I ought to reflect upon our walk. Look at Ephesians 5. In the last place I'll have you turn. Ephesians 5. Turn left from where you were in Hebrews 11. Ephesians 5. And look at me please in verse 14. We need to reflect upon our walk. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I simply mean is that we our freedoms have been purchased and we ought to live in such a way that it honors their sacrifice. I say that's true of the Lord Jesus, don't you? That we ought to live a certain way that honors Him and what He did for us at Calvary. It certainly should. But also I think that there's, that there's something about that our citizenship, that we ought to do, be our best. I think you can be a good Christian and a good citizen at the same time. I think that's possible. But look, listen to what this says, Ephesians 5, look at verse 14. Paul said, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Many have died to purchase and secure our freedom. But only one died to pay for our sins. We should honor our Savior in all that we do and never forget what others have done for us. It's not right to do that. So, so what does that mean in practical terms? We ought to be part of a solution and not part of a problem. We ought to be part of the solution. I mean, if nobody else wants to do right, you know, if the stars fall from heaven, do right. As best you can, do right, regardless of what anybody else does, beloved. Do right, do right. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Participate in your constitutional rights. You ought to vote. If you're not registered to vote, you're 18 years of age, get down there and get registered. Amen. Vote. And you say, well, it doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. About the time you don't vote because you don't think it makes a difference, it will have made a difference and you'll miss an opportunity. This is where we can be a good citizen. We need, we need godly men and women that are in the process. We need folks who can stand.
This is the part of thinking about our walk and taking it seriously. Be, be a participant. Be a diligent student of your Bible. You say, why is that? Because that teaches you how to have relationships and how to, how to as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men and handle matters wisely that we can find good. We need to know more about those things so that we can practically live in a topsy-turvy world and please the Lord. You know what I think else you ought to have? You ought to get a copy of the Constitution. You ought to have one of those. Carry it with you. You got nothing else to do. You ought to read it every now and then. I know you're not toting your Bibles around. <laughs> That's a gotcha right there. I know that you're not doing that, but you could. You could put it in your front pocket, a Constitution. Have you ever read it? Do you own a copy of it? I do. I look at it sometimes and say, man, then why are they doing this <laughs> as I read that? And uh, yeah, you ought, you ought to know what's going on in your country. They, listen, the country, there are those that are in power today. They want, they want a governed that are ignorant of the, of the laws of the land. They, don't, they want us ignorant of the rights that we possess because of that. And they want to keep it that way. Get a copy. Get familiar with it. I don't think it's as important as your Bible. Don't ever let me... That's not what I'm saying, but you ought to know what's going on. What's in the Bill of Rights? What things are, have been guaranteed to us? And we should be familiar with that. Beloved, it's right for us to arm the fallen. We need to remember. We need to know the reasons for war and not, not everything that we have to apologize for for what America has done. We need to remember the warriors how many of you have a loved one that died in the war? I, I met a young man, um, I want to say it was, when I got to the macaroni, what night was that? You were making the minister, that was Friday. And I saw a young man, and it said something about veteran on his shirt. And I said, hey, are, are, are you a veteran? He said, no, sir, my, my brother was, but... Uh, he said he was killed in Afghanistan. And man, my heart just sank. A nice young man, and I talked to him for a good bit, and I gave him a track and talked with him, and I said, listen, I said, would, I said, is your mom, dad still alive? He said, they are. I said, will you please tell them how much we appreciate what they did? And man, he just, it just perked him up. Sir, thank you. Thank you. He said, we participate in some things. We try to remember those other families like ours that are missing someone at the table and so tomorrow as you're you know a lot of people tomorrow is just another day to grill a burger and they don't think much about it and i'm not saying we ought to walk around with a long face but at the same time you know what they're going to be homes tomorrow that don't have a loved one there at the table and if you're not one of them you ought to thank god for that but i've lost loved ones in war i have and uh, and some friends and so um, you know keep that in mind when you're around the table tomorrow and you're enjoying and this week and in the weeks to come as you enjoy your liberties never forget at what great price was paid that we might have them amen it's the right thing to do all right let's pray father i so thank you dear god for those men and women who have uh, who have paid the price. Thank you, Lord, for our nation, our country that was founded on Christian principles, Christian Judeo principles, Lord. And we long for those days to come back again when right was right and righteousness prevailed in our land. 
Lord, America has never been perfect. But it's better than in so many places, God. Else why are they all coming here if it were not so? Lord, we need you and we pray that you'll look upon us again in mercy, Heavenly Father. We pray that America's heart might tur be turned. And Lord, we pray there'd just be a sweeping revival through our land. They'd get so weary of this perversion and confusion and mockery that they'd say enough is enough and they would turn to you. Lord, I pray that you'll help those families Lord, tomorrow that are going to be missing loved ones who have died in war. They see people protesting and they hear the things that are going on. God, I pray that they don't think that their loved one has died in vain. I pray, Father, for them and I ask God that you'll comfort them and help them. And uh, Lord, bless our nation. We so desperately need you, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.